I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Becky UL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. We'll get to noobs in just a bit. Uh, but did you guys see uh, the post-game news conference with Eric Spolstra and the question that he got concerning taking away Jokic's passing ability and basically saying that's the untrained eye saying something like that as far as uh, implying, oh, wow, Miami's going to take away Jokic as a passer and that's how you win the ball game. Well, Joe, it's kind of what happened, right? Yeah, so I, I caught a lot of them alone because as much was made about what Malone had to say. So I didn't catch uh, Spolster's comment there. Untrained eye. Is he suggesting that he still was involved and people are saying he wasn't involved in the passing because it didn't result in as many assists as usual. I'm not quite sure where he's going with that one. Basically he's saying, okay, it, if you, you can't just say, all right, well, you're not going to be a passer anymore. You're not going to be a scorer. Like a defense is able to just make that decision and it worked out that way. I think that's basically what was being implied. But uh, Ramona Shelburne uh, wasn't able to really get the whole question out, basically saying <laughs> it is an oversimplification. But by, say, by taking away passing lanes, uh, you know, you limit one of Jokic's dimensions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, why don't we bring in Noobs, uh, Alex Christensen, to kind of, uh, you know, help us answer this. And so, uh, Noobs, when you are dissecting game two and you look at the Heat taking away uh, Jokic's passing ability, uh, how much of that was uh, Miami's elite defense? How much of that was uh, Jokic, you know, having a bad day since he had more turnovers than assists? Uh, How do you attribute all of this? I think it's definitely a little bit of a coaching strategy change. I think that that's very Spolsterian, if you will, to say that, you know, it's the untrained eye or whatever. But we saw this at the end of the fourth quarter, and we saw it for most of the game last night. It seems to be when they're in man defense, they're really focused on trying to lock down a lot of these other Nuggets players. And it's something we've seen throughout history. You know, we watch teams do this to LeBron James every year in the postseason. All of a sudden, they would switch their defensive plan. And it would just be, all right, LeBron, try to score 60 points. We're going to stop everybody else. And I think the other thing is that zone, and it's weird to say it. I know everyone's probably sick of hearing about the zone at this point because we all played high school basketball. We know what you have to do to beat a zone. Why can't these professionals do it? But what Miami is doing, I know that everyone talked about it as a zone. If and there happens to be one other person who grew up watching a ton of Temple basketball with John Chaney, it reminds me a lot of this matchup zone that he used to play where it was sort of a zone. It was sort of a trapping defense, and I think that that's been really effective. And just in terms of Jokic's assist, I mean, I know that in general, Denver did not have a a bad shooting night. I mean, 52% of the field, 39% from three. But you look at a lot of players Jokic is on the court with. You know, Porter Jr. was two for eight. Jamal Murray didn't get going until the end of the game. 
Catavius Caldwell Pope looked like a mess. So I think there was a, a defensive strategy change for Miami to try to take away those secondary guys. And at the same time, Denver still has not figured out what to do with this zone-like defense that seems to give everyone trouble. For many uh, backing Denver in this series, I looked at game one and said, yeah, Denver won, and we didn't see the best of the Nuggets. And I think part of that was true. Uh, but in game two with Miami, with the shooting, and they were attacking more, and everybody getting involved, and every button that Spolster seemed to push worked. Did we see the best of Miami, which ended up being a uh, one-possession game in the end? I really think we did. I think that if you are a Denver backer, you take a lot of heart from the fact that the Miami won this game only by three points. They shot, um, I'm looking at it right now, it's almost 49% from three on 35 attempts. That is a lot of three-point attempts. Uh, and the Miami defense looked really good. And although I hate talking about stuff like this, I think it was you were hard-pressed to watch that game last night and thought that Denver got a fair shake from the officiating in any way, shape, or form. There was a lot of really questionable calls, a lot of things that really went Miami's way. But, again, you put all that together. Again, Miami got the, the whistle. They made all their threes. They won the possession battle. They win that game only by three points in a way that, as you watch towards the end there, I thought Denver really had some chances, and I was surprised that, honestly, they weren't able to force into overtime. So, I continue to be confident in the Denver Nuggets. We'll see what changes they make. I do like how angry Mike Malone was. It's something that I don't think we see enough of. You've got to be upset. You've got to make it clear to these players, especially in a public forum, that this is serious and that everyone can do better. So I like them coming into game three. I think they're going to play very well. Um, you know, I've played their team total over the first two games. We'll probably do it in the third game. So as happy as Miami has to be, you've got to be a little concerned that you played one of your best games of the postseason and only won by three. Yeah, and on the heels of that, we've seen the Heat living and dying by the three. They create clean looks. Sometimes they fall. Sometimes they don't. So how does that affect your handicapping game to game? Because it's hard to know. Are they going to have an off-shooting night or are they going to be hot from three? It is a great lesson the last month or so in the power of three-point variance. You shoot 35, 43s a game, you could end up like the Celtics where, you know, you kind of get blown out of some of these games because you're not making them. Whereas Miami, and it, it just – it's a combination of making the threes and, and just the way that team's built. It seems to just give everybody energy. I mean, when they're playing well, everyone's having fun. They seem to be engaged. There's really some great connectivity there. But in terms of a handicap, and it's something I've talked about through these series, I think it makes it really hard for the market to set some of these spreads because – you just don't know what's going to happen. It feels like all these games are either going to be really close or Miami is going to win or it's just going to be a blowout if they can't make their shots. So I've been taking Miami on the spread the last couple games as well. I just think it's hard to make that number, and it's just a little too big. So you know, try to think about, as you're going through doing some of these projections, you know how wide of a variance you can create with some of these three-pointers because it really does. It just creates, you know, if you're um, familiar with distributions and things, that's really fat tails on the end, which is when things get a little bit wonky. You're speaking my language, noobs. I really appreciate that. Uh, when it comes to, say, live betting, uh, game three and beyond, I know Miami had that massive run in the fourth quarter, but I do wonder if Miami has figured something out and it's hard for the Nuggets to adjust as far as making Jokic a passer once again. One of the things by limiting Jokic's passing, one of the things that that does is it limits Denver from shooting threes. And so if it's a tight game or if, say, they're trailing, it becomes that much tougher for them to make any kind of comeback. Do you feel like there's a way, if this is the case, to live bet the heat at some point the rest of this? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think that there's a possibility for that, but I think that that really is only going to apply to kind of games that we saw last night. And, and maybe that happens again, right? We've seen Miami shoot a ton of threes and, and do really well from there. Um I'm curious to see what the changes are for the next game. You know, Denver, one of their biggest problems last night was there seemed to be really poor communication on the switches. You saw a lot of times two Denver defenders staring at each other while Miami players shooting a wide-open three-pointer. So I'm curious to see how that kind of stuff goes. But, yeah, in terms of live betting, I have not been afraid to look at the heat, maybe even back them a little bit. I mean, early in that game, they were way up, and they go back down by double digits. There were some really nice big numbers there. I scooped up a couple live spreads. So, uh, Miami is a combination again with that three-point shooting and the fact that that team really seems to be locked in and you know never quits because I can't think of a better thing than a pointless cliche is always a good bet live especially when they're down by some of these big numbers because they do they never really stop and at some point the three-pointers are coming all right speaking of game three the uh, the total drops again we go from the closing number in game two to 16 and a half down to 215 and a half with it shifting to Miami and uh, Denver is the road favorite. The number is two and a half. Any early thoughts on side and total? Over. Keep going over. The first game was an over. over game. The shots didn't fall. Last night was a, pretty much a dead nut over game the whole way. It took some scoring late to really get up that number. He had a few slow quarters, but it just felt like once the shots fell, we were going to see what we saw in the fourth quarter. And I see no reason to expect anything else. I mean, Denver – Hasn't been as good on the road, but we know Miami has been better. Denver, again, I'm expecting to make a couple switches. Mike Maloney is a, a pretty solid coach. He's not as good as Spolster, but he's going to find a couple tweaks to make offensively against that zone. So I like the over there. I guess my only real concern there is I don't know what to expect from Michael Porter Jr. He had about the worst three minutes that I've ever seen anybody have on a basketball court last night. Jokic turns, looks at him wide open in the corner, decides to pass the ball to Murray in double coverage. Porter Jr. gets the ball in the next play, misses the cut, and then play after that gets the weak foul on Adebayo and gets yanked from the game. So I don't know if he's going to be benched. If he does, that would be a little tough for the over. He really drives a lot of points there. But, you know, assuming that we see the same lineups going into game three, it looks like another over spot. What about props-wise? Are you looking to fade anyone or looking at some overs? Who do you have your eye on for game three? Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. again, I, I want to try to listen to what people say. I want to see if Malone go back through that press conference. I don't think he mentioned him, but I'm curious to see what some of the reporting is there. Um, I wonder if we see less minutes from him. He really got abused defensively. And I talked about, you know, two Denver players looking at each other, trying to figure out who's supposed to be guarding that guy who's making a three. Porter Jr. was in that a lot. So I don't know if Malone is, is going to have the heart to bench him, per se, from the starting lineup, but I'm curious to see if he plays less minutes. Um, you know, as I look back at the rest of the group, um, again, I'm going to continue to play Jokic, point three bounds and assist over. I know he only had four assists, but 41 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, well over his PRA number. He's been in the 50s pretty much every game here. So we'll continue to play that. And then from the Miami side, um, something I did for game two and something I think I'm going to do for the next couple games, take a look at kind of those four supporting guys of Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, um, Duncan Robinson, and Caleb Martin. And I've just been going through and playing 
basically all those guys to make two plus threes and three plus threes each game because it seems like one, two, three of them just kind of pop in bunches here. So we're going back home. Generally, the shooting is better there. So trying to look again, continue to support Jokic throughout this series because he's just going to continue to dominate. But look at those secondary Miami guys and try to find ways to creatively bet their three-pointers because that really seemed to be where they popped. Well, let me piggyback off of that idea because as I'm looking at three-pointers made in the finals, Gabe Vincent has uh, four more three-pointers made uh, than everybody else, which includes Jamal Murray and Kyle Lowry, tied for second at five, et cetera. And then you go to that market uh, for the series. Vincent is uh, the leader, uh, leader in the clubhouse as far as uh, shortest odds at minus 155 to have the most three-pointers made followed by Jamal Murray, and then a massive drop-off with Michael Porter Jr. and Max Truce. Any value on the long shots there, you think? I think that is going to be a good one to look at in terms of long shots. I'm trying to pull up the list here. But, um, again, given the volume of three-pointers, I know four seems like a pretty decent lead. You know, we're looking at at least another three games, possibly another four games here. There's going to be plenty of time for somebody to catch up. You know, Vincent has had a lot of volume, but – you know, again, I would look down a little further, you know, see what Murray's price looks like. Um, you know, again, somebody like Max Struess, he's just going to shoot a ton of threes. So, um, again, you're going to have a lot of variance there. If he can get hot a couple times, there's a way for him to catch up. But I think that you're barking up a good tree here, and I don't think that the market really has that number right with Vincent minus 155, such a heavy favorite. I uh, want to get your thoughts on the finals MVP adjustment. Now, the Jokic number, that's going to flow with, with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, title odds minus 250 I see compared to minus 275 Butler and Bam just about everywhere the numbers are very close going into the series it was oh if the Heat win it's going to be Butler's well that's not what the odds are saying right now and I, I see Murray as high as 42 to 1 for finals MVP what are your thoughts on those adjustments and by the way Gabe Vincent's been dropping too yeah, I've got some Murray to be uh, finals MVP from before the series. Not feeling too fantastic about that. Um, he really has struggled these first two games. I think if Miami has done anything, they've done a good job of keeping the ball out of his hands. You know, you watch the Miami defenders. They start on Murray as soon as he gets across half court, do everything they can to basically keep anyone from even thinking of passing to him, let alone getting the ball. So that's been tough. The Butler number at 25-1. to 1, I think is an overreaction, but he doesn't look right. He's not moving well as someone that's, you know, tried to play with a hurt ankle and watch several players try to do this. Something is just not right with him. I don't think that he's a hundred percent, but he continues to find ways to be really positive here. You know, only seven for 19, not necessarily great numbers, but made a lot of his shots in the fourth quarter, found a way to get the ball into the basket. And I think if you're looking at the heat and you really think they can win this series, which you know, I, I still like Denver to win. Now's the time. Grab yourself some Butler 25-1. to 1. He's going home. He's going to have even more rest. He looked a little better in game two than he did game one, and I think that's only going to improve. And as long as he can keep gutting out big shots, media members are licking their chops to give this guy finals MVP. Really quick before we let you go, looks like it's almost a done deal. Vogel to the Suns. Is that an upgrade? Does that affect how you might bet any futures, or is he just heading into a toxic situation here? I may have been a little hyper-focused on the postseason, but I was unaware that Frank Vogel was taking head coaching jobs at this point. Um, I really don't know. I, I love that they were able to get Knight as an assistant. He's a really smart guy. They put together a good staff. And we've seen before that Vogel doesn't have a problem kind of handing the reins or letting some other guys come in and help him. Now, 
I don't know if that team, again, it makes a ton of difference. They've got to find a way to, to fill in the back of that roster. We saw at the end of the year last year, even when Chris Paul was playing, there just is not enough bodies there. So they've got to find a way to get two, three, four guys to kind of come in there and fill the roster. And I think that's going to be way more important than the coach. But um, I was pretty shocked to see that, you know, in a job where you'd have a chance to come coach Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, that the best they could do is – the Indiana Pacers head coach from the invention of verticality and the Lakers head coach from the bubble. It's um, that was odd. In 10 seconds, noobs, any French open bets you want to share? Um, Oh shoot. I can't remember the name. Iga Swiatek under, she's going to blow away. Lesia Saranko today. Find some alts under 16, 15, 14. Go for it. Oh, she's a great clay player, no doubt about it. Alice Christensen, follow him on Twitter, at underscore noobs. Thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. BetQL Court is in session right after the break here on the BetQL Network. (laughs)